New Eastern Europe podcasts. Agnieszka Brytz, Nikolaus Copernicus University. You are an expert on Russia and uh, we have focused on the issue of Russian influence in Ukraine, aggression in Ukraine and influence over Belarus. I would like to ask you about the internal Russian perception of its external politics. Let's start from the top. Do you think that the leaders, starting with Vladimir Putin, the president, do they think that they perceive current situation as them winning the war or winning the struggle with the West? Absolutely. Absolutely. President Putin and his colleagues like Sergei Wavrov, like his spokesperson Dmitry Pieskov, they keep repeating that Russia is about victory. Russia is going to definitely is going to win this war and it might win this war because of the strategic failure of Ukraine in Donbass and uh, the southern front along the coastline called Novorossiya. This is one thing, but if not because of the military victory, the victory might come by using different, maybe another tools. That is, first of all, diplomacy and negotiations with not especially Ukraine, but first of all with the West. So they are pretty sure that they are winning this war, not only because of, let's say, very promising situation on the front, but at the same time, the situation around Ukraine, the geopolitics, the sympathy among global South is uh, making Russia feel good at this moment. What's more, President Putin and uh, Sergei Lavrov, they are promoting an idea that uh, here we have a huge transition of international order and the war in Ukraine is only a part of this transition. And what is emerging, the new world order has been emerging. And in this new world order, we have so-called global majority, which consists Russia, China and global south versus global minority, which is Anglo-Saxon, as Russians are calling them, collective West. So they feel the situation is very good for them and Moscow will be the winning part in this clash with the West. So the stake is not only Ukraine, but first of all, this is a new world order from Russian perspective, much more democratic, but this democratic uh, world order in Russians' eyes is not in fact democratic, but it's a new oligarchy in the global politics. So, yes, Russian elites are really in good mood today. And the Russian society? Those are the people that are dying in large numbers for this new order envisaged by the elite. We have a huge problem with Russian society because most of it is very apathetic, very passive, 
and not ready to express its uh, opinions for the war or against the war. So they are accepting whatever President Putin and the Kremlin elites will and is ordering. The problem with Russian society also is that we have the maximum 20% of those who are more or less not anti-war, but they are quite critical. So I don't know whether they are anti-war groups, whether they would like to democratize Russia. We don't know. But what we know, this is the group, this is the potential for opposition in Russia. It's hard to say whether we have, let's say, clearly society, because society, this is a very vivid structure, very pluralistic, but this is not the case of Russian society. You started from the top down, the large, the strategic goals, uh, mainly establishing a new world order. So now let's divide it into pieces, because the most visible part of the struggle of Russia against the West, it's Ukraine. So from their perspective, how the war is going? From, from the perspective of elite or from the society? From the elite, because you said that, well, the society doesn't have much to say in, in what's going on. Yeah, that's true. But the war in Ukraine seems to be, for Kremlin, a very useful tool. This is a tool of a long-lasting strategy of revisionism. We know that since 2007, at least 2007, Russia has become a revisionist power. In 2007, during Munich Security Conference, President Putin stated very, very clearly that uh, the honeymoon with the West was over and Moscow was going to force and defend its uh, national interest not by cooperation with the West, but by confronting the West. Then President Putin proved that he was seriously taken this new approach in Russian strategy. So we had the uh, Russian war against Georgia in 2008. Then we had uh, Ukraine, annexation of Crimea. So many times we as the West were given the warning calls that, yes, this is true, that Kremlin and Putinist Russia is absolutely a revisionist power that is determined and desperate in changing world order. World order, that means that Russia combined with China would like to end, to terminate domination and maybe leadership of, of the West, especially U.S. And that's why the idea was, and this is why Ukraine war is a mean in, in this strategy, the idea was to create problems, to use frozen conflicts, just to push the West to a new great bargain with Russia, to create new rules of the game and the new rules of the new world order. So that's why Ukraine, it, this is not only for Russia a question of expansion, this is not only a question of punishing Ukraine for pro-Western dreams, but this is also a tool, a leverage 
just to change world order in much more pro-Russian favor. So let me understand it well. You're saying that Russia is using Ukraine and the war in Ukraine to influence or to diminish West's influence of global power. That would mean that fighting the war and not necessarily winning is still supporting Russia's objectives. Because as long as there is war, as long as the West is involved and engaged and not winning clearly, Russia is actually getting what it needs or what it wants. Yes, but the problem is that we do not understand one quite clear rule that in our interest, in interest of a liberal global world order and the leading position of the West in, in this world order is to allow Ukraine win this war, not to win peace, but win in a military way this war, because what Russia would like to achieve is absolutely a new set of rules. And this is how Russia, by waging war against Ukraine, is trying to push the West to accept Russian demands, Russian conditions, Russians' new ideas about post-American world order. Just imagine Ukraine is losing this war. We are calling, this is not a failure, but this is winning the peace because millions of Ukrainians are not dying. Zelensky and Putin are not talking directly, but via proxies, for example, China and US. The ceasefire is based on one condition that we, the West, are recognizing the status quo. And the status quo is more or less 17 till 20% of Ukrainian territories in hands of Russia, annexed in September 2022. And the signal Russia is achieving is that Russia is winning, the West is absolutely ready to negotiate any peace in favor of Russia, and the price is paying only Ukraine, in fact. And the signal is also that the West has proved that it's not ready to confront Russia. So in Russian eyes, the West, once again, is maybe united, but still it is very weak. It doesn't matter how big potential a military one, economic one it has, but the key information, the key message is that this powerful West is not ready to use its potential to make Russia give up imperialistic policy. So the final conclusion in Kremlin is that this is the invitation, this is a green light for more aggression, more demands, more red lines. And this is what Europeans in eastern part of Europe, countries like Poland, Baltic countries, we all understand this threat. And for us, this is not only a challenge, this is even existential threat. So uh, the West simply, or we as the West, simply can't allow Russia to win the war in Ukraine or 
or even to freeze a yes, frozen, yep. frozen conflict status. Now, in this puzzle, where is the place of Belarus from Russian Russian perspective? From Russian perspective, Belarus is a part of the system. This is a part of Russian system and and Ruski Mir Russian word. Of course, officially, Belarus is still a sovereign state, but from Moscow perspective, this is such a close ally that for Moscow, it's more than a lie. It's a part of Russian world. This is also an ally in aggression, a partner in aggression against Ukraine, because we all know, and Moscow knows even better, than Belarus, according to the international law, should be defined as co-aggressor against Ukraine. So for Moscow, this is a close political ally. This is a frontier and the buffer zone next to NATO zone, let's say, this way. This is also a very useful platform for military operations against uh, Ukraine. So uh, Belarus is very important, not only from political point of view, but also for the army. So I do not expect that President Putin w- would give up somehow his ambitions vis-a-vis Minsk. And what we are expecting, these are more trials, even bigger push to integrate Belarus with Russia in so-called Union state. Well, but it doesn't look that easy for Russia. Don't you think that enlargement of NATO, uh, inclusion of Sweden and Finland, that this enlargement was a actually huge failure, actually, huge failure of uh, uh, Russian politics? Oh, yes, because the northern flank, uh, the Baltic Sea, has changed into NATO lake. And we know that Russia's ambitions to prove that it is still, let's say, maritime power. This is still very important for Putin, not only Putin, but generally speaking for Russia. So that's why Baltic fleet is one of the most important fleets Russia possesses. So now it's fully controlled by NATO. So Russia is so focused on Black Sea region on Crimea, and this is for Russia a chance to make Black Sea once again more or less Turkish-Russian lake, but with absolutely military domination of Russian Federation. So in exchange of losing Baltic Basin, Russia has, because of war, in Ukraine a chance to capture Black Sea region. And this is very important because Black Sea is much more important because of geopolitics, because of very close neighborhood with Middle East, which is, of course, not crucial for Russia, but is crucial for Russia's enemies. And this is why Russia will survive losing influence in Baltic Basin in exchange of improving its position in Crimea and around Crimea in the Black Sea Basin. But we also have, this is also very important, that northern road. This is why we have to look very carefully, because in very close future Russia will finish building up its potential, military potential, 
in Arctic region. So that's why this is not the only puzzle in this picture, but you have to look from the broader perspective. But also looking at the Black Sea basin and region, uh, well, it seems overly optimistic because Turkey it's much stronger than Russia. And, uh, well, Russia is losing its Black Sea fleet to Ukrainians. And the potential, maritime potential of Turkey cannot be matched in any terms by Russians, not to mention the fact that actually Turkey is not the only NATO country in that yeah. region. So this is, uh, this is the hope, yes, this is the hope. But looking from Russian perspective, this is A, a chance, B, a need to use this window of opportunity, and C, Russia remembers that, however, Turkey used to be very assertive country, especially in its neighborhood. Turkey used to intervene militarily in the Middle East, but Russia knows it really well that no one in NATO will allow Turkey to clash with Russia in the Black Sea Basin. So we have hope that Turkey still is very powerful in Black Sea region, but we know that Turkey being a NATO member will not be allowed to clash in a military way with Russia in this region. What's more, we all remember quite pragmatic, of course, without big love, uh, without big bromance between Putin and Erdogan, but still relations between Turkey and Russia are to high extent very pragmatic. We focused so far on the military uh, phase and of this competition between Russia and the West. At the end, I would like to briefly ask you about the Russian political influence on the West. We see that Illiberals lost power in Poland, populists are gaining power in Holland, there's the whole game in Germany, in France. We know that those parties are quite often supported by Kremlin. Is it still a success story for, for Russians? It is still a success story for Russians because we used to forget that what is happening in Europe and broadly speaking in the West this is one of the multi-domain war waged against the West. So we, in a very naive way, believe that Russia is only aggressive against Ukraine and Russia might limit its military aggression against Ukraine. But we really are forgetting that Russia's war has many domains and one of these domains, this is let's say, we used to say a cognitive war, and operations that are aimed at changing Western society's way of thinking. The aim is also to weaken democratic pillars in the West, destroying trust of Western societies to their own governments, to rule of law, of course, Polish example is very optimistic, but this is only a battle. We have to win the war with 
populism widespread and promoted by Russia. We have to win the war with right-wing extremists supported by Russia in Europe and in, broadly speaking, the West. And we a very small window of opportunity because for us, for the West, not to lose this war, absolutely crucial is uh, next year, 2024, because what we have, had this is uh, Europarliamentary elections, June next year, we have presidential elections in US. And really um, a huge risk is that populist politicians and populistic parties and alt-right parties might gain stronger voice in European Parliament. This is what we predict and this is what is very probable. So what we have, this is a growing power, a, a growing influence of alternative uh, für Deutschland in Germany. For us, this is not a surprise that AfD has not only its sympathy towards Kremlin, but the ties are absolutely deeper and very solid. So we have Putin's friends around the West. And for us, the main goal is not to let them take the lead in Europe, because otherwise we would have European leadership and the Western leadership being very open for Russian argument and being very ready to restart a dialogue with Vladimir Putin. And we need to be vigilant. We need to strengthen resilience of our societies and remain critical of what's happening around us and supportive of well, Ukrainian struggle, Belarusian uh, resistance and, and opposition. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Podcast produced by Free Range Productions. 